don't know if you feel like you have any kind of certainty in your faith. I don't know if you, if you could say uh, that you have a level of assuredness, that you know what you've been taught and you know, you know what it means and you know how it affects you and you know what it does. I think there's many of us that have been taught, but maybe it's just never, the coin is never actually dropped. It's never actually uh, been fulfilled in some senses in our, in our life. Like we heard some information, and that information was never processed in such a way that ever actually uh, led to any type of life change or anything like that. And so what you find yourself doing and what many Christians find themselves doing today is we find ourselves going through the emotions. And it's basically one big charade of, of, of faith. And it's why our culture sometimes, not all the time, but it's, it's why our culture sometimes hates us. It's, it's why sometimes we have very little influence in our city. It's why we are... Uh, bereft of any kind of leadership in, in and around our city, our culture, perhaps our families. And it ultimately comes down to this, that there just has never been this clarity that has, has brought about this, this reality of faith to us. It's, it's been a series of facts, but it's never actually hit home. And then there's, there's people who would really push back on the idea of having some kind of certainty in the area of religion. Like certainty today is, is, is not something that we want. Everything is fluid. Gender is fluid. Sexuality is fluid. Uh, how, how families should be led, who should lead them, that's fluid. Everything is, is in flux, if you will. So certainty is not a value that our culture really holds up high on any level. And so what, what, what we're left with is we're left with this idea that our faith maybe should be the same way. Or perhaps we're just dogged or plagued by thoughts and feelings of a lack of certainty. A lack of certainty. And maybe you've never believed because you, you've just kind of submitted to this cultural idea that nothing is certain, so therefore I won't try to find certainty. How can anyone be certain? What have you. Well, we'll be getting to that today. We're going to be in uh, the book of Luke. We're starting a new series today, as Tim said earlier, uh, in the, the morning here. So we'll be in the, the book of Luke. Luke. Uh, we don't have every sermon planned out yet, so it's... Uh, we, we rarely ever do. We look at the scripture, see what, uh, what's coming up, try to plan a little bit in advance, but it'll be about a year. Uh, we were in Genesis for about a year, by the way, and uh, so I'm kind of excited about that because I, I think that this is going to be uh, an incredible uh, series to go through. I, I think just through my studies and the things that I've looked at, I feel like uh, there's some new and fresh stuff in here that I've never seen before, that I've never even understood at times. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. But let's, let's look at who Luke is. Who is Luke? Who is this guy Luke? Well, first of all, he's a disciple of Jesus. Colossians 4.14 says, uh, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas 
and others. Uh, he, he's talked about as this physician. Many people believe that he was a doctor. Uh, he, was, he was a doctor. Uh, in uh, Philemon 24, it says, Luke, my fellow worker. In 2 Timothy 4, uh, verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, Luke alone is with me. Everyone else had deserted him. And so Luke was a constant companion of the Apostle Paul. So you can look through the book of Acts and you can see many we statements. Uh, Luke also wrote Acts. And you can see many we statements. And that means that Luke was with the Apostle Paul. We went over here, then we went over there, and we did this. And, and we did that. So Luke is this guy who's been around. He's a fellow worker. He's a physician. He is uh, he's somebody who has been very faithful. He stuck with Paul when everyone else deserted him. And so he is an amazing uh, guy. But Luke is not an apostle. He's not an apostle. He is, he's a disciple, uh, he, or he's a disciple of Jesus Christ, but he does not have eyewitness testimony himself about Jesus. He wasn't around. We don't know exactly when he came in, uh, it came in the picture, but he is a guy who... Uh, came into, uh, the, came, came into the, the group of disciples, came to become a Christian sometime after uh, Jesus' ascension, perhaps. Maybe he came in before that. We don't really know. But that's ultimately what, what we do know is that he's not an apostle. He's not an eyewitness. He's not Jewish. But he knew eyewitnesses. And he also most likely had the gospel of Mark to use as... A, uh, as, a, uh, as a, a template for his, his gospel as well. Many people believe that the gospel of Mark was used as a template for the other gospels. Now, let me just give you a little bit of information here. Uh, many people can be confused about this. So the gospel is the story of Jesus Christ and his life, his death, his burial, his, and his resurrection and what he's done for us and how he's made that available to us. The gospels display that story in their fullness. The Gospels are four books in the beginning of the New Testament, which is about midway through the Bible, a little more than midway through the Bible. But there's Matthew, there's Mark, and there's Luke, and there's John. There's four Gospels. All four of those Gospels tell uh, the story of Jesus from a little bit different perspective. And Luke is one of those perspectives. And so, but Luke is kind of interesting because of this, because Luke is the only gospel that actually has a sequel. This is the first sequel that ever was. And so there's the book of Luke, and then there's the book of Acts. The reason why we know this is because if you were to look at, in fact, I'll just read the first verse of what, no, I'm not going to, not the first verse. It is the third verse where uh, Luke references most excellent Theophilus. He's written this book to a guy named Theophilus, which means friend of God. And then when you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So here we have Luke, who is uh, writing now a, a second uh, edition to what he has seen and heard and known and understand. The first book is about Jesus and his life. The second book is about the history of Jesus working in and through uh, the people of God by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring about the church and so forth. It's also the longest gospel. 
It's the longest gospel of all four gospels, and it's also the longest book in the New Testament at 20,000 words. With both Luke and Acts, he wrote more of the New Testament than even the Apostle Paul, who is accredited with many, many books in the New Testament as well. So it's, it's a, he's a very significant writer. In fact, he's the most significant writer, even though Paul is referenced uh, perhaps more than Luke, uh, he is very, very significant. Kent Hughes, who's a great pastor and commentator on, uh, on many different books, but especially Luke, uh, says this, prominent among the great theological emphasis in Luke is love. Matthew's keynote is royalty. Mark's is power. And in Luke, it is love. Love uniquely shines through in saying after saying and parable after parable in this gospel. He's talking about love. And love, it shows itself in this. The offer, the offer of salvation for all is far more prominent in Luke than in the other Gospels. The word is not even used in Matthew and Mark and appears only once in John, but Luke employs it six times as well as using to save many, uh, or, or uh, to save more than any other Gospel. That, then over and over again, there's other examples of how he's referencing salvation. He's referencing to save. So Luke is talking about love. He's talking about the love of God shown through salvation. And so it's an incredible story that we get to dig into uh, today and begin as we get started here. Let me read the passage for you here, and then we'll, we'll kick things off. It says this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Now, oftentimes we skip introductions. I've read a couple of books recently that uh, they, they, uh, it was like a couple of different audible books uh, where the, the author comes on like immediately like, hey, I know you want to skip this, but don't skip it. You know, that, that, that kind of thing. And I think that's a little bit of what, uh, what's happening here is that I don't think that we should skip this. Don't overlook it. Don't just look at it and say, ah, there's not much here. We don't really need to worry about it. There really is something very, very important here. And what is it? Look at verse 1. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative. What's he saying there? He's saying this. He's saying that in his day and age, this is a couple of decades or maybe three or four, something like that, after the death of Jesus and the resurrection and the ascension uh, back to heaven, uh, he is writing this and he says, uh, there are many people who have decided that they're going to put together a narrative of what happened. There's many people who have done this. There's many people who have, who have started to put uh, pieces and, and things together. And there's, there's people who have compiled this information and they've decided to put, in, put it in narrative form um, of the things that have been accomplished among us. So he's saying there's lots of people in his day and age who have done this, 
And so now here he is, he's going to enter in the, into this as well. And he says in verse 2, he says, Just as though who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered or handed them down to us. So he, he's saying this. There's people who have been compiling narratives. They've been, they've been doing this of everything that's been accomplished. And then there's also uh, there's these eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. Now, eyewitnesses and ministers would be like the apostles. They'd be people who actually heard the words of Jesus Christ. They saw what he had done. They entered into a relationship with Jesus and they were walking with him. And so they had seen all of these things. And so he's saying, there's these people who have put together uh, a narrative. And then there's these people who are eyewitnesses. And they're also ministers of the word. These are people, uh, the, the apostles, the apostles are eyewitnesses and ministers. But they're people who are also ministering the word. And then it says that they have handed down, they've delivered them to us. Which would have been oral tradition. They would have been telling these stories over and over again. They would have been talking about them. They would have been saying, hey, I remember that time when Jesus was up on the, the mount and he started talking and it was a really, really long sermon. Like it went on forever, but it was such a good sermon. We didn't want it to stop. And then we were coming up to this, this well one time and then all of a sudden Jesus is hanging out with this gal and he's talking about her life and all this stuff. They're, they're telling stories amongst each other and they're passing on this information. So in this day and age, much of the information would have been oral tradition. It would have been uh, information that had been passed on from generation, not from generation to generation. These eyewitnesses were still alive. But they would, would have been passed on and people would have known about it. And then people begin to write things down. They begin to write things down. They begin to remember those things. I'm really into documentaries. I lo love documentaries. It's helpful for me to think about this in documentary form. I was recently watching a, a documentary on World War I, and they had uh, interviews of, of uh, former soldiers that, had been, that, that, had, that have died over the years, but they had somehow gotten information from them well before they had died, and obviously they were talking about their experience in World War I. And so interspersed within the documentary was these men who have since passed, but they have preserved their stories. They preserved their stories and they put them, uh, they, they put them on film so that they could hear, uh, so that we could hear what actually happened in World War I. And so it's, it's very fascinating. And oftentimes you'll see that happen uh, a lot as we try to document what happened uh, at the Holocaust, or in the Holocaust, I should say, that people who are Holocaust survivors, there's uh, very few of them left, and so we're getting their stories. We're trying to make sure we have all the information. We're trying to gather all that, and that's a little bit of what uh, Luke is doing here is he's gathering these eyewitnesses. He's gathering these ministers, and he wants to tell about all the things that have been accomplished among us. He wants to talk about the things that have been accomplished among us, it says in verse 1. Now, if you were looking at this and it from another perspective, you might look at this and you might say, you know, this is Luke. He's writing about Jesus. And what, what Luke should probably say here, if I'm going to guess, he's going to say, 
Uh, people have tried to put together a narrative, and I'm going to try to add to that a narrative of everything uh, that uh, everything about the life of Jesus, and so uh, so that we can have an understanding of how we should live, or what we should do, or to give us a guide as to how we should live this way or that way or what have you. But that's not what he says. He says I. Many people have come together to put together a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. And he's, so essentially what he's saying is he's saying something has been done. It's not a list of things as to here's some things that need to be done. It is something has been done. Or, and, and really things have been done. They have taken place and it is finished. Now, to connect that to our Genesis series, the Genesis series really begins with Genesis 1, 2, and then uh, chapter 3, as things begin to go downhill, Adam and Eve sin with the help of the, the snake. God comes in. He curses the snake. He gives this very enig enigmatic statement when he says in Genesis 3, 15, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He, that is her offspring, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We call that the first gospel. We call that the first time that the gospel was really talked about. This is a saying that's basically saying there is going to be a seed. There's going to be a person who comes and who is going to squash the head of this snake. You go on through Genesis and you see these promises uh, that, are, that are made to Abram and, and then Abraham and so forth. That These promises are pointing to this person who is going to come. You could go throughout the whole Old Testament and you can see promise after promise after promise of what Jesus is going to do. But it doesn't say his name. It's just saying there's somebody who's coming. There's somebody who's coming. In fact, at the end of the book of Luke is a really fascinating interchange where these guys, they're walking on this road. They're going on the road to Emmaus and they were like, Hey, we're so bummed that this didn't work out. And Jesus comes and walks along with them. They can't tell it's Jesus. And then Jesus begins to explain to them. It says this, Luke 24, verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus says everything that, that was talked about in Moses, that's the first five books of the Old Testament, and in the prophets, that's all these prophetic words that go throughout there, and then the Psalms, everything that's been written about me, Jesus, in all of that time, had to come to fruition. And I think it's so interesting because Luke begins his gospel by saying, many people have set out to write a narrative of all the things that have been accomplished. And then Jesus, in his own words, by the hand of Luke, says, don't you see that all of these things had to be fulfilled? So what has been accomplished here? All of the promises, all of, all of the words that are talking about like there's going to be a savior, there's going to be a redeemer, the Messiah is coming, is fulfilled in Jesus. So what has been accomplished? Well, Jesus has been accomplished. He is the one who's come and accomplished everything. And then what we have is this, verse 3. It seemed good to me also, 
having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now, who is Theophilus? Theophilus is this guy who's probably an official. We don't know anything about him other than his name is in Luke and his name is in Acts. That's all that we know. He may be an official, some type of high up official in some capacity somewhere because he's referred to as most excellent Theophilus, but his name means friend of God. And so here is Luke, and he's writing something to this guy, Theophilus, and what he's telling him is he's, he, he's saying this, I know that all of these other people have tried to do this, and we have these eyewitnesses and these ministers of the word, and so I have followed all things closely. Ultimately, what he's saying is he's saying, I have investigated these things closely for some time past. He's saying, I have investigated, I've looked at these things, and I have tried to put them together in such a way that you would understand them. And so he's dug, and he's dug, and he's dug, and he's dug. And now, I, I don't know if you've ever been a part of an investigation. Like the first time, or actually the second time that I was uh, detained and had an investigation going on about me. You never want to hear your pastor say that, I know. But uh, the second time in my life that this happened, I was... Uh, going to a girlfriend's house. And so it wasn't my wife at the time, and we weren't really dating that much anyway. And so in, in any case, I shouldn't have said that. Okay, so I'm going to this girl's house. I'm in my blue Chevy truck that's parked out in front of my house. There's no grass growing up around it. It doesn't run very well, but it's still there. In any case, I'm in my blue Chevy truck with a six-inch lift. I pull up in front of her apartment. Why is that funny, all right? That's, that's my truck. You're like, yeah, I figured, whatever, okay. My 1992 Chevy pickup, it was, she was my girl. Like, it was, it was amazing. So, uh, I pull up in front of her apartment. I think I probably had some type, some, something to drink with me. Hopped out of the pickup, went to, went to the apartment. We hung out with some other friends uh, for a little while. I, I, I finally decided to leave at a, a decent hour. I come out of, come out of the apartment come out to my truck, and there are like five cop cars parked all the way around my, my, uh, my Chevy pickup. And I'm thinking to myself, man, someone's getting busted, right? Because their lights are off, they're like going stealth, as if I can't see you, like I see that your lights are off, everyone's like sitting there, and, I, and I'm thinking, man, they're about, to, they're about to go around the corner, knock on someone's door, bust it down, it's gonna be amazing, that's crazy. So then I get into my truck, and very gingerly put my seatbelt on, think, okay, I just, lots of police right here, I just need to make sure that I'm, you know, dotting my I's, crossing my T's, so I pull out at a snail's pace. I mean, I could not have been going more than two, like two, two miles an hour, right? So I pull out, and then all of a sudden, one of the cops turns on his lights and pulls me over. And so I, I probably had gone 10 feet. I pull over, and... Uh, Roman window now. Cop walks up to my vehicle. Now, mind you, this guy is, he's a little vertically challenged. So his head is like, like my window is about right here. So I think that got us off on the wrong foot, first of all. You'll see, yeah, this is, this is going to get worse. And so he, he walks up to my window and uh, he says, uh, I, I, I say to him, well, I certainly couldn't have been speeding. <laughs> That was not funny, all right? That was not funny. 
That was not a good joke. I was lighthearted. I was just like, I knew that I had done nothing wrong. And so I was like, uh, you know, uh, I'm, just, I'm just sitting here hanging out. He says, where, where are you headed? Well, I just left, you know, a, a girlfriend's house and I'm heading home. Oh, really? Like, yeah, yeah. He says, uh, anything you want to tell me about your license? And I go, no, everything, everything's fine. I think everything's fine. He says, you think or you know? And so I decide to say, uh, you're the one with the computer. Why don't you go check? <laughs> Strike two, right? Strike two, right? All right, Mr. Porter, get out of the vehicle, right? I'm out of the vehicle. You got anything in your pockets? No, you know, what's that? It's chapstick. You know, what else, what else do you want? And so then they, they cuff me. I'm standing here. There are multiple police officers all standing around me. And, I, and then they say, uh, the reason why we stopped you is because the guy in this mini-mart right here says that you stole beer from his place of business. And I said, I did not steal beer. Like, I don't know what, you, what you're talking about. I have $60 in my pocket. Like, why would I do that? Uh, they said, well, uh, Mr. Porter, listen, he just wants his beer back. I didn't steal any beer. Go, go through this whole thing. So now I'm in this incredible, incredible investigation. Uh, they cuff me, throw me in the back of the car. I'm, I'm sitting there for quite a while. The guy comes in and says, okay, we're going to check the video footage. And I'm like, oh, good, video footage. Fabulous. I have never been in that store before. They will know it's not me. He comes back and he says, uh, you know, Mr. Porter, I looked at the video footage, and I have my doubts as to whether it's you. Like, you, you have your doubts or you're sure. Like, I did not steal any beer, right? Uh, so then they full-on do the whole thing. I don't know if you've ever seen this, like on Law & Order or, or any of these other dumb shows, like where they pull the police car up in front of you. They have the person in the back of the cop car, the, the witness. They shine their lights in my face. They have both of their lights right here. I, I'm sitting there blinded by the light, and the guy looks at me and says, yeah, that's, that's not the dude. And then they tow my truck anyway, because my license was suspended. So that's my interaction with an investigation. Luke was, <laughs> I know that was not a very good connection, but... When I think of investigations, I think of that. That was, that was the second of three uh, detainments, but I'll tell you about the other one later. All right, anyway. So Luke is an investigator. He's an investigator on a level uh, that is well beyond what you and I can imagine. And in fact, when I, as I started to read this, I started to think to myself, this reminds me of... Uh, a book that I read recently by Doris Kearns Goodwin, who is a historian. And she writes a book that's about Abraham Lincoln, Theodore Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, and Lyndon Johnson. It's called Leadership in Turbulent Times. And she says this, in, just in the foreword of her book, she says, The lives and times of these four men have occupied me for half a century. I've awakened with them in the morning and thought about them when I went to bed at night. By immersing myself in manuscript collections personal diaries, letters, oral histories, memoirs, newspaper archi archives, and periodicals. I searched for illuminating details that taken together would provide an intimate understanding of these men, their families, their friends, their colleagues, and the worlds in which they lived. 
Now, that's Doris Kearns Goodwin's, uh, Goodwin at, about her book, and I think Luke is saying something very similar as he says, you know, I, there, there are these eyewitnesses, there's these ministers that have handed down these oral traditions to us. That's what handed or delivered means. He says, I followed everything closely. I've been doing this for years and years. I've investigated this heavily. And I decided that I wanted to put together this orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. I want you to see who Jesus is with absolute clarity. I want you to see what has taken place here, what has been accomplished. And then he says in verse 4, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That you would have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Now what's incredible about this is that Luke is somebody who is like, I want this guy Theo to come to such a great understanding. I want him to have this full idea, this full picture of who this guy Jesus was and what he accomplished. And I want to put it together in one book. And I'm going to take all this stuff and that stuff. And I'm going to put all of these stories together so that he would have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And so what that says to us is that Theophilus might be a Christian. He might be a Christian who had heard about Jesus. He might be somebody who had some level of knowledge about who Jesus is. But he doesn't have certainty. He might be somebody who's not a Christian, and he's just heard some stuff occasionally. Like, I rarely meet somebody who has never heard of Jesus. I mean, maybe once a year, and I talk to a lot of different people about Jesus, once a year I'll talk to somebody who says, I don't know anything about it. I mean, it's, it's not even once a year. It's probably less than that. Or somebody says, I've heard the name Jesus, but I just don't know anything else. I know about Christmas and Easter. That's it. I rarely hear about somebody like that. And so here we have Theophilus. He may be a Christian. He may not be a Christian. If he's not, he's somebody who has heard some things about Jesus. Maybe him and Luke bumped into each other in the market. They struck up this conversation, and Luke was like, yeah, that's not right, but this is right. And you know, they started telling him all about this, this Jesus person. But Theophilus is a little bit like us. See, you can be taught... You can, have, you, you can have grown up in the church all of your life and still lack certainty. You can lack certainty on such an amazing level. See, many professing Christians in the church today are in the same position. You've heard some things about Jesus. You attend church occasionally, if at all. Like the national average is, I think, maybe once a month, if that, that people attend church. Attend church occasionally. You kind of know about this story. You treat it like it's fire insurance. Like, I don't want to go to hell, so I should kind of like this guy Jesus and God and what have you. And so there's this level of like familiarity with it, but there's no certainty. 
And in fact, over the last decade or so, there's been a lot of conversation about how statistically it might be somewhere around 60% of our kids that grow up in the church don't end up staying in the church. And, and so articles and books and things like that often talk about the idea that kids end up walking away from the faith. But in reality, I think they're a lot like Theophilus in the stage that he is in and that they had never come to a place of certainty. They, they know some things about Jesus. They know some things about his life. They know some things in, in this general area, but they don't really know what he's accomplished. There are so many of us in the church today that are in this place where you know some things about Jesus, but there's been no certainty that has been brought to your life because ultimately you do not really understand what Jesus has accomplished in his life eternally for you. So you could be someone who's been taught but never believed. You can have a head knowledge but never ha having arrived at a heart knowledge. You could have gone through a difficult time in your life and so you come to Jesus and you pray a prayer but it never went much beyond that. And Jesus has turned into kind of this genie in a bottle that you pray to occasionally as things go badly, but it's, you know some things, but you just don't have certainty. You find yourself in doubt, but you've never really investigated. You don't know how to investigate. Because if you're like me, as I grew up in the church, I was just sitting there kind of saying, like, what am I supposed to do? What's this supposed to feel like? Am I... Am I just going to all of a sudden just like, oh, you know, like ascend spiritually? I've not, what, what, is, what would that even look like? Wouldn't people think that's weird? I, I would think it's weird. Like, what, what is this supposed to look like when I have this, like, amazing certainty? Like, when you read biographies about some of these amazing Christians over the years and the things that they did and the passion that they had, how does that happen? How do these guys like give up their lives? How do these guys like give up everything? And gals for that matter. How does that take place? Don't know how to get there. Find yourself in doubt, but don't really even know how to investigate. Had a fire at the beginning, but the fire's gone out, or it's just simply a slow burn. It's just, there's not much there. You read something occasionally, you listen to something occasionally, but it's just not, there's not much passion there. Maybe you never had a fire. You just heard, received it as truth, but never felt the need to investigate further. It's just kind of a shallow faith. Can we just all admit here that like this, this thing that we call Christianity right here, and I'll, I'll just include myself and with this, like this thing that we're, that we're doing, American Christianity, it's just really shallow. It just is. I mean, if we're all like really honest with ourselves, I think if, if we were really honest with ourselves, like we'd all have to say on some level or another, like we've got a cake life. 
We've got a life that is really quite good. And so the opportunity to even need to depend on Jesus is just infrequently there unless some type of disaster happens in our life and we find ourselves just like at, at the mercy of God saying, God, help me. We find ourselves in some type of crisis. But other than that, it just ends up being this shallow faith. What are the reasons for that? Well, I mean, the, the first most obvious reason is that we're the wealthiest country in the world, and so there's a reason that we don't feel like we need Jesus. It's very difficult for a rich man to get into a heaven, get, get into heaven, not a heaven. Different religion there. What are the reasons that we don't have certainty? Well, there's a lot of wealth. There's really bad teaching. There's bad theology. There's incomplete theology. There's laziness. There's all kinds of things that could go, go in there. Why don't we have certainty? But here's the thing. Christianity is not a religion of chance. It's not a religion of, I hope that God accepts me. I spent some time with my Jehovah's Witness friends. They're my neighbors, but also my friends. I love them dearly. And, I, and, I, and I, what I do when I'm with people who, who don't share my faith is I ask them, them to explain their faith to me like in detail. I'll just sit there and so what about this, and what about that, and what about this? And so I was sitting there asking all kinds of questions, and what I came down to was that in the end that this guy only hoped that someday that he might be acceptable to God. Like, like they talk about the 144,000 that are going to be saved, and that's it. And, I'm, and I'm, so I'm like, so you're just hoping? Like you know that there's more than 144,000 Jehovah's Witness probably, Right? Like, you're just hoping that you're one of them? Like, you're going to elbow someone at the door and say, I'm in, you're out, you know, that kind of a thing? Like, this is just, it's just a game of chance at this point. It's a game of chance that, like, I just hope that God accepts me. But Luke, the gospel writer, is saying, this is not a game of chance. It is an absolute certainty. It's not, it's not by chance that you might get in to eternity with God through Jesus forever. It's not by chance. It's a certainty. And you can't live by faith until you have this certainty of what's happened in your life. As long as you believe that it might be by chance, as long as you sit there and you doubt, you are not living by faith, at least in that area of your life, or perhaps at all, because you don't have the certainty you don't have it. And so we say, well, there's something wrong with me because I'm not certain. So I need to convince myself to be certain. So I, I don't know if you, maybe you're somebody who, who doubts your faith. I mean, if I'm honest, like doubts come into my mind all the time. Like there's, there's times where I'm like, Dude, is this a joke? Like, am I, am I just, I'm not talking about, 
occasionally or maybe even regularly like having these moments and then assuring yourself of the gospel. That's, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about here is like when, when you come and you say, you know what, there's something wrong with me because I am not certain and I just need to be certain. I, I, I'm, I need to convince myself that I am certain, but here's the problem. That is your entire problem. You can't convince yourself to be certain. There's nothing that would convince you in that respect. You can't force yourself to come up with this certainty. You can't beat yourself up enough for a lack of faith. You need to see that Jesus was beat up for you and for your faith. That's what needs to happen. And so what are the what are the things that Luke wants us to be certain about? Well, Mike McKinley, who's a commentator, gives an exhaustive, exhaustive list, as several other commentators do, just talk, breaking down what Luke is talking about. And here's some main themes. First of all, I said that love and salvation are, are, is, is the biggest theme. But going on from that, the major themes in Luke's gospel are the ministry of the Holy Spirit, over and over again, he talks about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit moving and working in the lives of these people and in Jesus himself. There's the importance of prayer. There's the joyful praise of God's people. There's these songs that just spring up in the beginning of Luke in, in several places and even beyond that. There, there's these songs like people are, are joyful and they're praising God. There's God's initiative in the salvation of his people, like God is the one who's acting to create salvation. God is the one who has acted, and it is not on us. There's also Jesus' love for outsiders. His love for women included in there. Women who would be people who would not be highly thought of in that culture and in that time. Children, same thing. Sinners. People who would not be hung out with by the religious crowd. Jesus would hang out with them. Zacchaeus, the woman who lived a sinful life as well in chapter 7. Foreigners, people who were not from around there. Gentiles, people who were not Jews. And then also the cross and resurrection of Jesus. What are the things that we need to be certain about? What is the certainty that we need? We need a certainty about what Jesus has done. I don't need a certainty about my certainty. I don't need to be certain that I'll never have a doubt again. I have to change my view from me and the lack of faith that I have. I need to change my view from the idea that like I could never have faith because I can't believe in that way. I don't believe in certainty. But you've never looked at the facts. You have a guy by the name of Luke who says, I know people who are eyewitnesses. I know people who saw Jesus tell somebody to get up and they get up from the dead. I know people who were healed by Jesus. I know people that Jesus loved and Jesus loved me. And I walked with him on that road to Emmaus. Luke is saying, I know all those people. I've read their writings. I've done all of this stuff. I've investigated every bit of this. On the same level 
that Doris Kearns Goodwin, a highly respected historian today, would write. Luke is somebody who's investigated this exhaustively. He's looked at every detail. And do you have certainty? You toy with doubts? That's okay. You should have doubts about you and your abilities. Because this is not about your ability. This is about what Jesus has accomplished among us. It's about his promises coming to fulfillment. It's about how from the very beginning, God has promised to bring about this Savior who is going to crush the head of the serpent. And he did that in and through Jesus. Life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. He did that through him. Do you, do you struggle with certainty? Investigate this life in this way. Luke has shown it to us. Repeatedly throughout the New Testament, what we see is that we are to have full assurance, that we are to have full conviction, that we're to have this hope until the end, that we're to have this full assurance of faith. It says in Hebrews 10, do you have a certainty that comes from the life of Jesus and what he has done? I got to tell you, we've, we talk about the gospel all of the time. And many of you have been sitting here for perhaps many years. And you still don't understand the gospel because you're tore up with guilt and shame and a lack of certainty. And Jesus has so much more for you. Luke is going to show it to us through his gospel here by the power of the Holy Spirit that he wrote. And I invite you into this process to learn about this man who is God and in this incredible investigation about him. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we ask for your help through this series. Lord, that you would work in an amazing way to bring about a certainty in our lives, not about our ability to believe, but about what you have done on the cross for us. So would you bring about that realization? Would you cause us to live vibrant Christian lives as a result? It's in your name we pray. Amen.